Good morning. My name is Cindy Queenham. Please listen to the portion of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. My name is Ross Queener, and I am an elder here at Trinity Baptist. Uh, the title of my sermon today is Dying to Live, and when I chose that title uh, over a week ago, there's no way that I could have anticipated that in the days leading up to this morning, we would be remembering Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain as they've taken their lives in this last week. Uh, this is a sobering, somber, and painful thing to consider. Uh, unfortunately, it's not as rare as we wish. Suicide is the number one cause of death among teenagers, and uh, it's, it's growing in uh, all of the demographics of our population. It's not just young people. Uh, sometimes this is related to mental health issues, uh, but sometimes people just don't come to a point in life where they feel that life has become too much for them to handle. And there are those among us here that have contemplated or possibly even are contemplating uh, taking their own lives. This is something that's closer to all of us than we like to think. If you find that you're thinking of harming yourself, you need to let those around you, those that love you, know. Additionally, you should reach out to someone that is trained to help with this. And so uh, here up on the screens, maybe you can see it, uh, there's an organization called NYC Well that has a free, confidential, 24-7 hotline. It's staffed with people that are ready to listen and help with problems like stress, depression, anxiety, or substance abuse. Just call 888-NYC-WELL or text the word WELL to 65173. Please don't keep it to yourself. For those of us that are not struggling in this way, 
you know, we need, we need to keep in mind those that are around us. And if we feel that maybe somebody is uh, really hurting in some way or they've been down for quite a while, uh, continue to keep, keep in touch with them. Reach out to them. They may, may not be able to express the fact that they're struggling in this way. <clears throat> you can't, you know, you really can't just tell people to stop feeling bad. It won't help. But you can listen and you can let them know that you care. You can let them know that you love them. Let me take a moment to pray over this before we continue. Father, I thank you that, that you uh, are with us, that you, the, the creator of the universe, uh, actually knows each and every one of us, and that you are with us, that you know what we're feeling, you know the darkness that we uh, are sometimes sitting in. And it's not beyond you. Lord, you're there with us. I pray that, uh, that people that are hurting would be aware of your presence. I pray that they would be able to reach out to you and that you'd give them the, the strength and courage to reach out to others. And I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that you'd help to be mindful. Help us to be mindful of those around us. Lord, help us to love one another well. Help us to be good listeners. Help us to be encouragers. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've called us to an abundant life and that you are with us uh, to help us pursue that. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I'm, I am actually really grateful for individuals and organizations that are trained and qualified to help with problems like that. I'm also grateful for the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God provides us with perspective on how to deal with the challenges that we face in this life. In a world that can be tough to live in, it's really comforting to know that we have an immeasurably um, compassionate God who's with us. And so, you know, as we look to Scripture, for instance, we look in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and in chapter 4 we read this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus tells us this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, those very words, they just, they just sink into the inside of me. Uh, they're, they're, they're warming. They're comforting. But sometimes, it seems that we have a rather curious faith. There are some passages of Scripture that, that to me anyway, seem to offer sort of a backhanded uh, sense of comfort. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 would be an example of this for me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, I am absolutely thankful that the God of all comfort is with me and that he's going to comfort me in my affliction. 
but I don't want the sufferings of Christ. <laughs> you know, it's like, Lord, keep trouble far away from me each and every day, please. This is something that, uh, that I think people of faith have always struggled with. Why won't God just give us a break? Uh, and, and the Philippians are certainly no exception to this. And so Paul's going to talk to them and, uh, and address their concerns and fears. Uh, but before, uh, before I go there, I do want to just uh, remind us about something that Fred said last week. You know, Fred, hey, Fred, how you doing, man? Uh, last week, he gave us this great picture of this Japanese bath. I've been thinking about it all week, right? And so uh, there's the cleansing shower that's very much like that cleansing of sin that we experience when we come to faith in Christ. And then there's that hot, soaking bath. And it's, and it's very much like the, the grace of God that soaks into us as we, as we get to know him, as we spend time with him. And as, we, as we're soaked in his grace, we become more and more like him. What a beautiful picture. Uh, this week, we're going to go from that lovely hot bath to an ugly dark prison where Paul is sitting waiting for us. Uh, but before I get to Paul, I do want to talk a little bit about the Philippians themselves. The city of Philippi was regarded as the most important city of its district. It wasn't, it wasn't the capital, but it was an important city, uh, a city of about 12,000 people. At that time, that was a pretty good size. Rome was about a million people. It was exceptional. Uh, but in the Roman world, this was a pretty good-sized city, sort of like Atlanta, right? It's the most important city in its district. And uh, this city... Uh, was a place where Roman soldiers, when they retired, oftentimes they would retire to Philippi. And Philippi had a special designation. Even though it was on the eastern side of Greece, uh, it was considered to be in Italy. It was an Italian city. And this meant that they didn't have to pay tribute to Rome. Can you imagine if the federal government said, everyone who's a resident of New York City, no longer has to pay federal income tax. We'd be like, yes, we are special. I knew it, right? And so the, the Philippians, you know, they were living in this, uh, this very Roman Greek city. They, they were very proud of their citizenship. To have Philippian citizenship was a, was a pretty good thing. And so, um, so Paul, you know, speaking to these people, as I said there, the Roman Greeks, and, you know, the Greeks, they, they had a dualistic worldview. They believed that the material world was just all bad. The physical world was bad, and the spiritual world was pure and good. Uh, also, ancient people, and, I mean, granted, some modern people, but in the ancient world, this was common, believed that if you were suffering, you probably deserved it. There was probably something you did to earn that. And, uh, you know, in this, this Roman city full of former soldiers, there was a pretty good stigma attached to anyone being in jail. If you, if you ended up in prison, this was a very bad thing. They frowned on it. And so along comes Paul, right? And on his first visit to Philippi, what happens? He's publicly stripped, flogged, and thrown in jail, right? The Philippian parents were looking at their kids saying, see that guy? Do not grow up to be like him. Uh, and yet, Paul uses, uh, or the Lord uses Paul's 
suffering his trials to establish a church in Philippi. This is an amazing thing. And so as time goes on, Paul and the Philippians are tight. They love Paul. And as he's on his journeys around the Roman world, uh, they continue to stay in contact with him. They financially support him, right, so that he can continue to do this stuff. And now we fast forward 11 years, and Paul's sitting in a jail in Rome. He's been falsely accused of trying to uh, incite the residents of Jerusalem to rebel against Caesar. And so he's sitting, uh, waiting for his case to be heard by Caesar. And if for any reason Caesar does not like what he hears, Paul's life is over. That's it. And so Paul is sitting in his prison and he waits. But he's not bored. This guy keeps busy. One of the things that he does is write this letter to the church in Philippi. In the section of the letter that I'm going to focus on today, he talks about the difficulties that he's facing. And we can look at the way that he responds to these difficulties. He highlights for his Philippian friends three serious difficulties, difficulties that he's facing. Three things that would, would have been really, really concerning to them. Then he closes this section with a curious little piece of encouragement. As we look to cope with life in a troubled world, as we navigate the problems of life, as we wake up each day to a world where people are dying to live, it's worth our time to see what Paul has to say about how he deals with the trouble that he faces. The three areas of difficulty that he's facing, unjust imprisonment, betrayal by people that he ought to be able to trust, and the reality that he may soon be put to death. So here's how Paul talks about these problems. The first problem, unjust imprisonment. In verse 12, Paul says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me being in jail, has actually served to advance the gospel. As he was unjustly chained up in prison, he recognized that he had an opportunity to share the gospel with all of his guards, these big, burly Roman killing machines, right, that were, that were standing next to him as he's chained up. Uh, there's always going to be somebody there watching him. And so he decides, hey, what a great opportunity. They're not going anywhere. They're going to listen to me. And so uh, day by day, guard by guard, the entire, uh, the entire Roman guard hears Paul's story. Additionally, uh, the Jewish residents of Rome had heard that there was this Jewish guy that was going to be on trial. It had something to do with his faith. And they were kind of curious about that. They wanted to see what this was about. And so Paul had this string of visitors that were coming to see him. They got to hear the gospel also. And so Paul is really making, uh, taking pretty good advantage of this strange opportunity that he has. In verse 14, he continues, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul doesn't try to protect his image here. He's not trying to deflect shame so that the Philippians won't think poorly of him. Uh, but rather, he wants them to celebrate with him. 
Paul chose to die to any feeling of pride or regret that he could have had. He had to do it if he wanted to live as he was created to live, to do the things that he was called to do. He looked for God's greater purpose at work through and around his circumstance. So in his imprisonment, Paul looked for God's greater purpose. His second problem was betrayal. He now talks about those that have betrayed him in verses 15 to 17. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. While in prison, Paul is defenseless against these individuals that are tearing him down. It's possible that they envied his status as a leader in a church. Maybe they wanted to be the leaders. Envy and selfish ambition can compel us to do ugly things. Paul could have defended himself here, fearing that the Philippians might begin to look down on him. He could have named his detractors and talked about what terrible people they are. He could have engaged in self-pity and talked about how unfair it is that this would happen to him while he's in such a vulnerable position. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he says this, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. By not giving in to negative impulses, he doesn't allow himself to sin against these people. He leaves room for reconciliation. And he's able to be joyful about something that deserves to be celebrated. It's not my default response to betrayal, right? Uh, when people talk me down, I don't, I don't want reconciliation. I want revenge, right? I want for people to suffer. I want for other people to get on my side so that, right, I'm on the winning team. I need more of Paul's perspective in my life. I need to die to my own sense of entitlement to be treated fairly, and I need to be more ready to celebrate what the Lord is doing in and through my circumstances, the difficulties that I face. That's the life that I was created to live. Now, I do need to stop here for a moment and sort of question my own observation about how Paul's responding. So does this mean that there's no room to struggle with some of the difficult things that we face? There's no room for grief in life? Many of you know my two daughters. I love those two girls. They're growing to be terrific young women. I'm very proud of them both. Uh, but what you may not know is that my younger daughter, Meg, struggles with absence seizures and with a learning disability. The absence seizures are mostly controlled through medication, so she rarely has them. But when she does, it's like her, her brain goes on pause for about 10 or 15 seconds. The combination of these things makes it harder for her to learn than it would otherwise be. She's not unintelligent. She just has a really hard time learning some things. School's hard for her. It's a struggle. And I 
absolutely hate that she has to deal with these things. I've prayed thousands of times that both of these things would be taken away from her. For some reason, right, the Lord's allowed it to be this way. I have no idea why. I will probably never know why things are this way. And I hate it. But as I pray about it, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to thank God. I'm able to be thankful for this. I'm able to trust and believe that God is able to redeem this situation, that he'll bring good out of it somehow. And so I'm able to praise him. I still hate it, and I still struggle, but I believe that God is going to be glorified through this. So there definitely is room for grieving. There's definitely room to struggle with God through things. But by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can praise God in all circumstances. We can focus on God's greater purpose when we see it, right, just, just as Paul did while he was sitting in prison. And as a result, we can rejoice. So in imprisonment and a betrayal, Paul chose to focus on the good that the Lord was doing, that he was bringing out of the situation. Instead of cursing, he rejoiced. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do this too. And now there's this third problem that Paul's facing, his impending judgment and possible death. We look in verses 19 and 20, and Paul says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, right, the Holy Spirit, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Paul's certain that he'll be delivered, but deliverance may come in the form of his execution. Right? That's kind of a bold thing to write. The people, to people that come from a dualistic background, this could actually send the wrong message. Right? The Greeks thinking that the, the, the physical world around us is bad and the spiritual world is good, uh, they could misinterpret this and feel that Paul's saying, don't worry about this life. Just leave it when you can. Uh, the, the better life is up there. If it's time to check out, go. Paul knows that this is an issue for them, and so he makes sure to let them know why it's good for him to say, stay. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul's real about his desire to be in the presence of Christ, but he knows how much better off these friends of his will be if he's around to continue discipling them. He's genuinely happy at the thought of them growing in their joy and the faith. And he's hopeful that the Lord will let him live longer so that he can be there for them. 
I think if the Horatio Sparvard hymn, It Is Well, had existed at that point in time, he would have started singing it right there. He would have written it into the notes. Instead of taking a self-centered view of life and death, Paul dies to the desire to leave the troubles of this world. You know, as I get older and my body isn't quite what it used to be, there are days where I'm like, Lord, could you just land a meteor on my head today? I really don't feel good, you know? Uh, That's a self-centered view, right? Uh, Paul isn't indulging in that sort of thing. Instead, he embraces the life that the Lord has called him to live. He knows that he'll be with Christ someday, but is happy to be able to continue to minister to the Philippians, to his friends. Before he moves on, Paul does have one more thing to say to the Philippians. And this is his curious bit of encouragement. In verse 29, he says, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, it's easy to understand that we've been granted faith to believe in Jesus. Through that gift of faith, we're able to see the world differently. We're able to live with hope, to be thankful in difficult circumstances, and to look forward to the end of our lives. We're given so much when we believe in Jesus, that feels like a gift, right? But Paul also says it's been granted to us to suffer. Did I mention that sometimes we have a curious faith? Right? This sounds curious. Everyone suffers in life. That's normal. Around the world, it doesn't matter who you are, at what point in time you're alive, everyone suffers in life. But when you place your faith in an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God, you kind of hope that you're going to live an all-good life. That would be nice, right? No trouble here. No worries. But the Lord knows that protecting us from life won't make us better people, and it won't make this a better world. And so he grants us to suffer, and then he redeems it. He uses suffering to make us more the people that we were created to be so that we can make this more the world that he created it to be. That's what Paul's been saying about the three ways that he was suffering. By going through this trial, he's more joyful, and the kingdom of God is expanding. He's celebrating. In the letter from James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James writes this, You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In John 15, Jesus says this, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning can be painful. (laughs) You know, if you're that branch and you get pruned, it's going to hurt. But as this happens, as the Lord does this work, we will be more joyful in life. We will become mature and complete. 
I want to be mature and complete. I'm sure my wife wants me to be more mature. That would be great. Uh, but you can't wish it, right? If you're taking the easy road, you're not going to become more mature and complete. As we go through this process of facing adversity, of suffering in life, and of following Christ through it, we actually will grow in faith, obedience, and joy. Which is another way of saying that sometimes we have to die to ourselves to live our best lives. In these three areas of trouble, imprisonment, betrayal, and possible death, Paul focused on how the Lord was at work and how others were being blessed through the trials that he was facing. The sarcasm, entitlement, and despair that can so easily come out of many of our mouths in these situations was not there for Paul. What do we do when we find ourselves talking that way? We can confess it. We can confess our sin. And God is faithful and just to forgive us, right? It's like Fred's soaking bath, right? We want to, we want to soak in the bath. Not the bath with Fred. We want a bath of our own, right? <clears throat> but we want to soak in that bath and receive God's grace, and so we confess our sin. Paul encouraged his friends as he talked about the joy that he experienced in seeing the Lord at work at God's kingdom expand. By dying to self-centered desires, he experienced the better life that the Lord had called him to. In prison, he was living large. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are good and gracious and abounding in loving kindness. And that's true whether we are sitting comfortably in a pew in a church in Manhattan or whether we're sitting in a prison or whether we're dealing with the troubles of our daily lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will fill us. I pray that you will give us the faith to trust God in all circumstances. Lord, I pray that this coming week that we would hear our own voices, we would hear the words coming out of our mouths. And if we're responding in an ungracious, sarcastic, complaining way, I pray, Lord, you'd help us hear that. Lord, show us, reveal to us what's going on in our own hearts. Our words are going to reveal what's in our hearts. Lord, we want to be more the men and women that you created us to be. We want to live, we want to live as you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you that you love us. Pray this in your name, Jesus.